Well, we are continuing in our series on the road with Jesus this afternoon, uh, as we've just read from Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Uh, Now, these verses that we're going to read today fall into kind of three distinct chunks that build sequentially on one another to make kind of one overall point. And so rather than any long introduction, we're going to get straight into it. We'll work through each section uh, and see what it has to say and how it applies to us as we go. So from chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. And he, that's Jesus, just so we're all clear, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Okay, so Jesus gets together his 12 closest followers, his disciples, and he himself gives them authority and power, we read, to to go out and to do what he'd been doing. So up to this point in our series, up to this point in Luke's gospel, what have we seen Jesus doing? We've seen him going about, (laughs) proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing people, setting people free. And now he gathers to himself his closest followers and he gives them the power and the authority to go and do exactly what he's been doing. That's quite something, isn't it? It is. Like, (laughs) it is. (laughs) Okay. And he commissions them with this power and authority to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And at that point, we probably have to pause and say, what is that? What is the good news of the kingdom? Because that's not the kind of language you usually use, is it? I don't know about you, but that, that's not in our everyday way we speak. What are you doing today? I'm, I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. <laughs> like, it's, it's not the way we tend to think about things or speak about things. Well, to unpack that fully is a whole series in itself. It's a massive subject, but in essence... The kingdom and the good news of the kingdom is the good news about the rule and reign of God. The kingdom is where God's will is done perfectly, where people enjoy living as subjects of a heavenly king, and they enjoy the benefits of being everything being in order, everything being in its right place, everything being as it should be under the rule of God the king. The freedom Jesus gave them authority and power to bring and the healings he gave them power to perform, these disciples, were supposed to be glimpses, like foretastes of what life in the kingdom would be like. So he told them to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom about living under the rule and reign of God And then he empowered them and equipped them to go and give people snapshots, glimpses into what life in the kingdom would be like. Little foretastes 
of what it would be like. But the most significant thing about the kingdom that these disciples were to proclaim, actually, is who the king is. Jesus is the king. They went with signs and wonders, and we're going to talk about those more in a minute. Yes, they did, but they went to point people to Jesus. That's their primary objective, and anyone who wants to proclaim the kingdom of God, their first, primary, most important objective has to be to point people to Jesus as the king. And you know what? If you're a Christian today, then you've been sent just like they were to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to point people to Jesus. Now, you may have noticed that the things he sent them to do sound pretty impressive. And the things we've already read about him doing were pretty impressive, right? (laughs) And the truth is, is we can't pretend to experience power on the same level that Jesus demonstrated or even his apostles, these 12 who he sent out, demonstrated and experienced. You just look through the Gospels and you will see that there is no other time throughout the history of the church when that level of authority and power has been demonstrated. We just think about the last few weeks, right? You get the the dead man on the stretcher that Jesus just raised to life. The dead girl that we read about last week who Jesus just spoke and she was raised to life. The storm that was stilled simply at his word. Uh, We read elsewhere in the Gospels when Jesus is arrested in the garden, uh, one of the soldiers' ears is cut off and Jesus just picks it up and sticks it back on. Like (laughs) Healings were always complete. Diseases were banished just like that. Whole towns, whole towns brought out their sick to Jesus and every single one was healed. The miracles of Jesus' day haven't been matched since. They were in large part given to demonstrate his authority. They were were given to declare who he was. We read in in John chapter 2, The first of the miracles of Jesus recorded in the book of John. John says, this is the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Yet Jesus performed these signs to show people who he was that they might believe in him and to show them what life in the kingdom would be like. They were also given as parables or illustrations. We talked about this before of what Jesus is able to do at a deeper level. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the leper who was cleansed instantly, who was made clean in a moment from his sickness of leprosy, and the picture that that was intended to paint for us of the fact that our sin just riddles our whole being, just like that leprosy did to that man, that it makes us utterly unclean before a holy God, and just as Jesus cleansed that leper in a moment, he can cleanse us from our sins in an instant too. They're they're parables and illustrations, foretastes of what's yet to come when Christ returns to make all things new. And nothing since has ever come close to that. And 
and won't until Christ returns and makes all things new, where there will be no sickness, no death, no sorrow, no suffering. But we really need to be clear that that doesn't mean miracles don't happen today, because they do. And we should expect them to. See, the undeniable expectation and experience of the early church, if you read the rest of the New Testament and you read church history, is that God can and does heal. That God can and does break through in situations in incredible, miraculous power at times. And every time he does, we get a glimpse into what it will be like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus in his kingdom forever. We get a foretaste of what it will be like when he returns and makes all things new. Yeah? But these signs that we experience now are always designed, just like they were then, to point people to Jesus, to help people to see who he is and what he's like. And so we should pray for the sick and expect that God can heal people. And as we do, we look forward to a day, expectantly look forward to a day when sickness will be no more. We pray and believe God for miraculous breakthrough in situations. And I know many of you do that because I've been in prayer meetings with you. I've exchanged messages with you where you've asked for us to pray for something as a church community. But as we do, we remember that when those things happen, their main purpose is to point us towards who he is. To help us see him in his glory and his power and his might. And just like the disciples were sent to do, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel. <laughs> we're supposed to actually tell people <laughs> the good news of Jesus, that they can know sins forgiven, conscience cleansed, that they can be brought into relationship with the living God, both now and forever. I don't know about you, but when I read this and when I think about those things, it, it makes me quite discontent with how things are. And actually, I felt really stirred this week to pray for more and to expect more. I long for more of these little foretastes of the kingdom, these glimpses of what it will be like to live under his rule and reign forever. I'm not content with what I've experienced so far. And I've got to admit, over the last few years, I've become less quick to pray for the sick. And when I do, I've, I've probably become less expectant that God will actually heal them. And I've become less quick to pray that God will break through in miraculous ways in situations. And I wish I hadn't. And so I, I, I've kind of I've resolved <laughs> that I'm not going to settle there anymore. That I want to pray and ask God for more and, and believe that he can and that he will. And so actually, at the end of the service today, I want us to take a moment to pray for anyone here who's sick before we leave this room this afternoon and to trust that actually God can 
heal. Yeah? Good. We're going to move on. So, first point. Jesus sent them out in power, didn't he? But whose power did he send them out in? Where did it come from? Him. It's his power. Jesus sent them out in his power. Not theirs. They had no inherent power of their own. Only what they received from him. He sent them out in his power. And then he gave them some more instructions to help them remember who they were dependent on. that The one who the power had come from as they went. And we're not going to read all of them, but just these first few. He says this, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. What is that about? <laughs> why, why would Jesus be like, hey, you're going to go off on like a decent length trek around these towns and villages to preach the gospel. As you go, don't do any of the normal things that you would expect to do if you're going on a long journey. Don't take spare clothes. Don't take any money for it in case you've got expenses. Don't take a staff to help you along the way. <laughs> it's just like, what? Like, don't take any food. Well, what if we get hungry? Like, just don't. Why does Jesus do that? Jesus is telling them not to take anything that they could be tempted to rely on rather than trusting God to provide on this journey. This is such an important lesson that we have to learn as followers of Jesus. It's not that we have to live a, some kind of ascetic lifestyle where we shun all material things, uh, but it's that we shouldn't rely on other things for our security other than God. And, and I guess I want to say this is particularly easy for us here in comfortable Wokingham. It's very, very easy for us to place too much emphasis on material things. It's very easy for us to believe that we need all of these things. That we, we need to the financial security of owning our home. Or we, we need the right education opportunities for our children so that they have the job security and financial security in the future. And the challenge is, is that we can set these things up as functional saviors. We can look to them as our source of hope rather than God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with having a reliable car. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with owning your own home or your children being in a good school. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But if we ever get to a point where we believe about any of those things, that we couldn't be without them, if we ever get to a point where we believe about any of those things that we couldn't be without them, then we're in trouble. If we ever get to a point where we're thinking more about those things or placing more stock in them than we are in the hope of the gospel, then we have got a problem. And the other aspect of this that Jesus wants to help them guard against is believing they can meet their own needs. Again, so easy when you've got a comfortable salary, when you're in a home that you own, or all these different surroundings that most of us find ourselves in. Not all, but most. So easy to believe that, that we can, through our own efforts, meet all of our own 
needs. That they can do it on their own. They don't need him. Jesus wants to help them guard against that mindset. There's a theme we're going to pick up on later. But they were still going to be clothed. They were still going to eat. But they needed to trust God for those things. Rather than leaning on their own resources or their own way of doing it. They needed to rely on his ability to provide for and sustain them rather than their own ability to sort everything out. I don't know about you today, but are you tempted to lean on your own ability to resolve your problems? Are you tempted to lean on your own ability to provide for all your needs, to to provide for your spouse's needs? Are you tempted to rely on yourself rather than leaning on God and trusting in him? Jesus was teaching them to guard against here as they went. So we have this interesting balance as the disciples are sent by Jesus. See, they went in power, didn't they? And we read it and we're like, wow, they went and did all these amazing things. They went in power. But at the same time, they went in weakness. And that was deliberate. They went in his power. But they also went aware of And reminded by Jesus deliberately of their own weakness and their need of him. We've got to hold those two together. And as they went in power and weakness, they went, we read, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Guys, we've been sent the same way. Don't miss that, okay? It was their commission, it's ours too. We're sent to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And what was the result of them going? This is the next section we're going to get onto now, and I love this. The result of them going was this. We read from verse 7. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. This is after these 12 being sent out. Heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The result of these 12 disciples going out, relying on God's provision, preaching the gospel and displaying what life in the kingdom is like was that Herod and the rest of Galilee, it seems, is going, who's Jesus? (laughs) Like there's these 12 guys going around everywhere, healing people and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and pointing towards Jesus, the Son of God. Who is he? And there's some confusion and speculation about who he is. But if this is the result of 12 disciples going out, guys, what should the effect be now? Just think about that for a minute, right? There's like almost three times that in this room right now. This was the result, that the whole of Galilee is abuzz with the question, who is Jesus? As a result of 12 disciples going and proclaiming the kingdom of God, what should the result be now? 
this has to be a challenge to us, right? It's really challenged me as I prepared for today. Why aren't more of our friends and neighbours asking that question? Like, who's this Jesus who you just can't stop talking about? Who's this Jesus who you keep proclaiming to us as good news? Like, uh, we've got to know. We've got to know. Surely, our friends and neighbours should be asking that question, shouldn't they? Anyway, back to the text quickly. It's really interesting to note that having asked the question, it simply says this about Herod, that he tried or sought to see Jesus. He sought to see him. Now, a man in Herod's position shouldn't have any, had any trouble seeing Jesus. He had a lot of authority and power. <laughs> he had just executed John the Baptist. He was a pretty popular figure, and it wouldn't have been without resistance. The power that Herod had, he could have summoned anyone to his courts, and they were not to refuse. He could have dispatched a whole group of soldiers to go and collect that person and bring them to him. If Herod really wanted to see Jesus and find out for himself, really wanted to find out for himself who this Jesus was, he would have had no trouble doing it whatsoever. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? See, if he'd really wanted to see him, he could have made it happen. No doubt. Now, who knows why he didn't? But we do know this. He wondered who Jesus was. He was intrigued enough to voice a desire to meet him. But he stopped short of actually going to meet him for himself. Guys, I don't know all of you or all of your situations this afternoon, whether you're watching online or here in the octagon. But I want to say to you, please don't make that mistake. Don't settle for just inquiring about Jesus or being intrigued about him. See, there's no, there's no real doubt amongst historians that Jesus walked the earth as a real historical human figure. And the New Testament Gospels actually stand up incredibly well to scrutiny about their authenticity and reliability. So if Jesus was real, as these eyewitness first-hand accounts we have say he was and history says he was, and if these are reliable, then we only have three options available to us about who Jesus is. And if you're wondering this afternoon, then, then this is really what it boils down to. Now, C.S. Lewis said it far more eloquently than I will. But essentially, when you read the claims that Jesus made about himself in the Bible, you have to conclude that he was either a complete madman, like just an utter lunatic who was completely deluded, who thought somehow for some reason that he was God, and really he deserves our pity more than our worship, or you have to conclude that he was a bad man, he was thoroughly evil, and he was out to deceive people and dupe them into following him, and actually many of them giving their lives through following him. Or he was and is exactly who he said he was. 
God. God incarnate, God in human flesh, come to save us. Those are really the only three sensible, logical options when you boil it down. You can't conclude he was just a good moral teacher because if he said the things he said, I'm sorry, and they weren't true, then he's either a lunatic or he's a liar. That's the way C.S. Lewis phrased it. See, Jesus is either of no consequence whatsoever, and maybe you're wondering like Herod this afternoon, like I need to find out. I want to tell you, Jesus is either of no consequence because he was either a madman or a bad man and he deserves to be just resigned to the annals of history and left there. Or Jesus is of absolute, ultimate importance. God in human flesh, come to forgive us, come to restore right relationship between God and man, and he deserves to be worshipped and obeyed as God and as Lord of all. Those are really the only options up to us. And, And so if you are in the same position as Herod this afternoon, you need to decide. I want to encourage you, please don't be like Herod. Please don't leave it at kind of being slightly inquisitive. Determined to find out for yourself. It's the most important question you could ever seek to answer. We're going to read on from verse 10. On their return from this journey they were sent out on, the apostles told him all that they had done And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, Jesus wants a debrief with his disciples as they come back. They've been out, touring around, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, pointing people to Jesus. And they come back to him and they're telling him all about it. And he's like, guys, let's, we basically, we're going on retreat. It's been an intense bit of time. We're going on retreat to just get some time together. That's what's happening here. But, (laughs) we read from verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. I just love this. When we look at the other gospel accounts of this event, what we see is that Jesus and his disciples set off by boat due north on the Sea of Galilee towards Bethsaida. And the, the people see them go And they're like, we need to get close to Jesus again. And so they chase them along the shore by foot and and meet them after the boats landed. And so the retreat that Jesus had planned for his disciples is cut short. And the people come to them. It seems no sooner have they arrived than these crowds come to him. And you've got to notice quickly here, right? The disciples have been out and about preaching and performing miracles. And I love this. The disciples, remember, read about, have been out and about performing miracles. And then this crowd of people pursue them up the shoreline to where they sail to. And who are they looking for? Who are the crowds looking for? You can tell me. Read it. Jesus. The disciples have been out doing all of this. And what's the result? The crowds are looking for Jesus. They they understand that it's not about the disciples, it's about him. The disciples may have proclaimed the good news, they may have performed miracles, but they don't deserve worship. The power isn't theirs, it's come from him. He's the one who deserves worship. He's the one 
who they're drawn to. He's the one. It's about Jesus. The object of mission is always to bring people to Jesus, not to us. We point to him as the saviour, not to ourselves. Guys, don't ever develop some kind of weird saviour complex where you think you're the answer to everyone else's problems. Point them to Jesus. He's the answer. The disciples clearly did a good job. These people heard about it. They pursued Jesus, not the disciples. And as the people come, how does Jesus respond? He gives and he gives and he gives again. He speaks to them about the kingdom. He proclaims good news and he heals the sick who are brought to him. Amazing, right? He was supposed to be on retreat with his disciples. But these people come to him and he just gives. It's amazing. But it also sets up one of the most remarkable miracles and teaching moments of the Gospels. We read from verse 12. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we're here in a desolate place. They'd been there a long time, Jesus teaching them and healing them. And the day's gone on. And when we read this, it's not very uh, kind of well covered up by the disciples, is it? They're tired and they're fed up. Okay? They'd been out on this missionary journey. They were supposed to be on retreat with Jesus. And these people have come, spoiled that. Jesus has loved on those people all day. And now the disciples are like, Look, we're tired, we're hungry, we ain't got anything. Send them away, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the disciples clock the time, and actually the, the way this is phrased, they speak really strongly to Jesus here. They actually they instruct Jesus to do something. It's like for a moment in their, in their grumpiness and their tiredness or something, they've forgotten their place. They've forgotten who they're speaking to. And they try and tell Jesus what to do. Just like hint, don't ever try telling Jesus what to do. It's a bad idea. That's not your place. He's Lord. You're not. They've also forgotten who they're with as they tell him what to do. They'd seen him do so much, hadn't they, by this point? He'd never failed them. He'd stilled the storm when they were in the boats. They'd watched him with their own eyes raise the dead. They'd seen him in seemingly hopeless situations come through in incredible ways. And yet here, it seems the disciples just expect so little of him. Nothing. And they presume to instruct him. Jesus, send these people away. Instead of humbly coming to him and saying, Jesus, we know that you have all power. Or all authority, you can do, like, I mean, you can do stuff we couldn't even dare to imagine that could happen. Like, we've seen you still storms. If it's your will, would you do something for these people? No, instead they come to him and say, send them away. We can be like this, can't we? I can be like this. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Lacking in faith, expecting little of him, thinking we know better. And Jesus' response is magnificent. I love this. This is where he loops back into the way he sent them out at the start. He says this in verse 13. He said to them, you give them something to eat. And now the actual kind of structure of the sentence is that he says, give them you to eat. 
The thrust of it is not cannibalism, by the way. He's not actually saying, kind of chop off your arm and give it to them when he says, give them you to eat. But the thrust of it is that Jesus is commanding them to give of themselves to the people, to give out of their resource, to give out of what they are and what they have. It's like, have you got the power to do this? Come on, you do it, guys. See, Jesus' intention is to draw out their inability but to remind them of his ability. The truth is that every moment is his grace, yeah? Every breath is his provision. You didn't earn the breath you're breathing now. It's a gift from God. It's his sustaining power allowing you to breathe. We don't bring anything to the table except that which he's already given to us. We're utterly, utterly reliant on him. We're very quick to forget that. And the disciples needed a reminder in this moment, as we often do. And what happens next is stunning. We read on. They said, they didn't really get the point, by the way, (laughs) of what he was asking of them. And they just go, look, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go out and buy food for all these people... And in one of the other counts, one of the disciples actually kind of quotes a figure. He's like, we've worked it out. He's one of the tax collectors. He's worked it out. He's like, that's going to cost us loads of money. Are you really expecting us to do that? We just haven't got that. Earlier, you told us to go out without purses. And now you're saying, go and buy all these people food. (laughs) It's not what Jesus is saying. We read on. For there were about 5,000 men, plus women and children is the inference. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. He made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them, and then he broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. That word's really important. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces. The disciples recognized their lack. It's like, we have, like we've got like, no more than five loaves and a couple of fish. But instead of Jesus just doing it, which he could have, couldn't he? I love this. It's beautiful. He involves them again. He, he invites them to join him in his mission, just as he invites us to join him in his mission now. Just like the way he sent them at the start, it was his power, not theirs. And now it's his provision out of his resources, out of who he is and not them. And yet he invites them to take part in that. He gets them to feed the people, but he gives them the resources to do it. He miraculously creates more bread and more fish as he breaks it and distributes it. And we, that word he, he gives, we read, he broke the loaves and gave them to disciples. We need to read that. And he kept on giving. It's this sense of like, he gave and he gave and he gave and he kept giving. See, because that's who Jesus is. That's what we've seen already through this passage. And it's how Jesus works. Herod and the rest of them were wondering who Jesus was. And here he answers them, who else could create this way? Who else could make bread and fish in this way? Only Jesus, only God could miraculously provide food like this. 
And what's more, this is a passage rich with symbolism, which we just don't have time to get into all of now. But we're, we're going to pick one thing, the most significant key thing in this, is that the bread is a picture of Jesus. The bread of life. Bread from heaven. Bread that meets our deepest need. And as he broke the bread, it's this image of him broken for us. The bread of life broken for us at the cross. And just like these people who were hungry ate until they were satisfied, every single one of us hungers and can only find satisfaction in the bread of life, in Jesus who gives and gives and gives. The great news is that Jesus can feed our starving souls until we can't eat anymore. He has promised, as we read a few weeks back in Luke 6, 21, and if you remember this, that he said those who hunger will be satisfied. Satisfied in him, yeah? In that remote place, everyone was hungry. And there, with no other means of provision, every single person who looked to Jesus for help was able to eat until they were fully satisfied. That's the hope for us. That's the hope for the world. As he gives and gives and gives, that everyone who comes to him to eat can eat until they're fully satisfied in him. I'm going to draw these threads together as we conclude now. So you like the disciples We've been sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. But it's beyond our ability to resource and meet the needs of those around us, isn't it? Like, it is. <laughs> okay. They need the bread of life that will truly satisfy them. They need Jesus who gives and gives of himself to all who come. And amazingly, just as Jesus involved the disciples in this miracle, he involves us, we have a part to play. Just as the disciples distributed the bread to the people who were gathered that day, we are supposed to hold out the offer of life to those who we encounter. Just as they were sent in the power of the Spirit, we are sent in the power of the Spirit. We pray for people. We serve people. We seek to bring healing and wholeness wherever we can, but recognize all the time We've got to recognize that in its ultimate sense, healing and wholeness can only truly be found in Christ. And so, like the disciples who pointed people to Jesus, we must at every turn, in every moment, point people to him. If we don't give them Christ, we sell them short. If we don't give them Christ, we sell them short. Guys, you've got to hear this. You've got to understand this. We have to get this right into us as a church. We've, we've got to understand this. See, we should care deeply about issues of justice. We should. We should mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who grieve. We should care deeply about those things in our society. We should care deeply about meeting the needs of the poor and marginalized in our society. We should pray for the sick and seek to bring healing however we can, wherever we can. We must do those things. They're not optional extras. 
In fact, actually, if we fail to do those things, we just reveal that we haven't understood the gospel in the first place. It's not just like an optional bolt-on. We've got to do it. But we've also got to remember that those things in and of themselves are not the whole picture. I've met too many professing Christians who talk about demonstrating the love of God to others. And what they really mean is engaging in good works, being generous, uh, kind of helping out. It's social justice, which is good, like I've just said. It's necessary. But it's not everything. I've met so many professing Christians who emphasize on that and emphasize on that and emphasize on that. And they fail to share the fullest expression of God's love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. That's the whole point. That's the most important bit of the good news of the kingdom. We mustn't ever lose it. It's the bit on which everything else stands and falls. Because in the end, there will be no healing or wholeness for those outside of Christ. That's the truth of it. For those who do not hope in him, eventually there is no hope. For those who do not find satisfaction in him, eventually there is no satisfaction. And so yes, we want to pray for miracles and believe that God will break in and heal people. Yes, let's cry out to God for healings and believe that he will Let's strive as a community to serve those around us. Yeah? Let's strive to see mercy and justice roll down like rivers in this nation and in the nations of the world. That's part of our call. That's part of what it means to bring the kingdom of God. But in all of it, let us never, ever forget to proclaim the gospel, pointing people to Jesus as the only one in whom they might be saved. We're going to conclude now and sing one final song, but just before we do, I want to invite us all to respond together to this. We're going to take a minute just in silence, and I want you to consider these things. I want you to consider where this, because there's a lot here, where this roots for you today. I want to ask, have you begun to expect too little of Jesus? Just consider it for yourself. Maybe you've forgotten that you've been sent with power to proclaim the kingdom of God. Or maybe, like the disciples, you've slipped into the folly of self-reliance, forgetting that every breath is his provision. Perhaps you've got comfortable with showing the love of God, but you've stopped short of the most important part of that in pointing people to Jesus. Or maybe today you're asking the same question as Herod was, and you know you need to find out for yourself. Whichever of those. I want to pray for us now before we sing. Maybe you guys could come up to lead us, Rich. Lord, I pray that you would fill us again now by your Spirit. Lord, would you remind us that we've been, as your disciples where we've been sent by you in the power of your Spirit to proclaim the good news of the kingdom in word and in deed for your glory. 
Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times when we've grown stubborn and self-reliant, thinking that we know better than you do. Help us, Lord, to see you for who you really are. Save us from being like Herod. Help us to come to you as the one who can truly satisfy the bread of life. And send us out again this week that we might point others to you for your glory. Jesus, we ask it in your name. Amen.